You're listening to the Minimize podcast, a podcast that asks honest questions and has genuine conversations about pregnancy and abortion, hosted by Ben Conroy and Wirren Lynch. We don't claim to have all the answers, but we want to enable people with a variety of different views to have meaningful and productive conversations about these difficult and sometimes controversial topics. In this episode, Ben and I were very excited to get the opportunity to chat to Josh Brom, President and Co-Founder of the Equal Rights Institute, a pro-life organization dedicated to training pro-life people to think clearly, reason honestly, and argue persuasively. Josh shares his thoughts about constructive dialogue within the pro-life movement and the similarities and differences between the pro-life movement in Ireland and America. We learned a lot from talking to Josh and we really hope you enjoyed the discussion as much as we did. Thank you so much for coming. It's my pleasure. Yeah, and I've been a fan of you guys for a while. Uh, like, well, I'm so ah. glad. <laughs> okay, so, so, so I've only just met you today, but let me take a minute just to say something nice about Ben. I've been doing a lot of kind of, you know, emailing and conversations with people here as well as just my own research, just trying to, you know, be better educated about what has happened in Ireland, what is going on, how can I try to help you, um, your movement here. And so part of that has been reading a bunch of Minimize Project articles uh, and, and multiple of both of yours and just been so impressed um, with the quality of, of not, not the writing so much as like the thinking. You're just good thinkers. Um, and so I am so excited to be on your podcast. And I, and I have no idea what you have in mind to talk about, but I just know that we have so much in common and, and I can't wait. Great. Well, I mean, uh, I guess maybe the reason we have so much in common is uh, because we're massive fans. It, as far as talking to pro-life people go, we're massively inspired by the Equal Rights Institute, kind of explicitly and implicitly, I think. Yeah. Th- this is probably a good opportunity, having had a little love in to begin yeah. with, <laughs> to actually sort of ask Josh, to introduce Josh a bit to our listeners. Yeah. Sure. Um, just to sort of say, okay, you know, uh, who are you? How did you come to, to, to be here? And what, what, what's the Equal Rights Institute about? And what makes it distinctive uh, from your point of view? Oh, man. So there's a lot of really good questions there. So I'm Josh Brom. I'm the president and co-founder of Equal Rights Institute which is an organization dedicated to training pro-life people to think clearly, reason honestly, and argue persuasively. Although the joke that I use all the time is that we exist to help pro-life people to be less weird. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and, and, and I have a lot of work uh, in front of me. Um, I've been in pro-life work my whole life. Um, I knew I wanted to be a pro-life speaker when I was 11, which made me a weird 11-year-old, but that's what I was telling people I was gonna do. Um, and um, has been involved pretty much full-time my whole life. Like, I, I was kind of this from music. I turned down a professional music career to do this. I had a contract from Nashville to be a full-time piano guy. And, uh, and I just knew when I, when I read that, because I've been playing professionally on the side, just like, you know, on, you know, on, on evenings and weekends and things, um, I knew it was like, hey, I can't do full-time pro-life work and be, like, touring around on <laughs> buses or whatever, like, playing music. Um, and so, so I threw away that contract uh, and I've uh, been doing just some kind of full-time pro-life work ever since. We started ERI about six years ago and it's, it's been really cool. So what makes us distinctive, um, I think like, you know, we're sort of in the category of pro-life apologetics, of trying to help pro-life people to defend their views better. Uh, I think there's a lot of things we're not good at and that we're not trying to be good at, okay? 
uh, like lobbying. I don't know anything about like smart lobbying strategy. I'm glad there are people that do, but for me, I, I don't know whether West Wing or House of Cards is more realistic <laughs> to real life. I hope it's West Wing. I kind of think maybe it's somewhere in the middle, but I don't know that world, um, and I don't really want to know that world. So I'm not trying to be an expert at that. Um, I think we're really, really good at helping people with one-on-one -on -one dialogue. And so I kind of came to this realization, there's two ends of a spectrum that I think we're really good at. And you wouldn't think that you could be good at both at the same time, but there are two things I care massively about. We've always wanted to help pro-life people to be smarter, to make good, better good. arguments, right? Yeah, good. That's the, is that the Palpatine quote? Is that yeah, your quote? Right. Good. 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 Let the hate flow through. Okay. Um, it's what you sound like. But no, okay, clearly we're on the same wavelength here. Um, there are bad pro-life arguments, um, really bad pro-life arguments, and it drives me crazy when I when I hear them and when I see them. And so I want to help pro-life people to not only avoid those, but also avoid the true pro-life arguments that are just not persuasive, that just won't connect to our target audience. Yeah. Uh, Pro-choice and pro-life people think very differently. So we shouldn't project uh, based on what is persuasive to us. We should be, you know, what is going to be persuasive to someone in, in this worldview that might be very different from ours. So, we, so we, we're interested in that and we get into philosophy and we're interested in all that stuff. On the other side, though, I'm super passionate about helping pro-life people to be more relational when they're having these conversations. Um, and so like a lot of uh, the, our practical dialogue tips, whether it's body language or the kinds of questions not to ask, right? The, that, uh, as well as our relational apologetics, where I'm, I do talks on just how do you build friendships with pro-choice people, which a lot of pro-life people just never even thought of having a yeah. pro-choice friend. And so I'm telling cool stories of people whose lives have been changed through friendship and giving specific tips on how to do, do that because that's very difficult. Easy to be friends with people that you're exactly like, and it's hard to be friends with people who are different, but it's possible and, and well worth doing. And so I think we're really good at helping people to be relational, but you would think that you couldn't do both. But anyway, that's, that's I think, what makes us distinctive. Um, and so we're talking a lot about practical dialogue tips, which is like the nitty gritty things that you just learn when you've gone through the fire that our staff has had a 5,000 conversations with pro-choice people and just learn from a lot of mistakes. It's all, it's all about helping people to be more receptive and less defensive. Because when people are defensive, they can't hear you. It doesn't matter how good your arguments are, they're not hearing you. The gates just come down. Yeah, you gotta get the walls yeah. down or else the, wall, the walls are up and then everything's just bouncing off. Here in Ireland, obviously, a year and a half ago, we had um, a vote, um, yeah. which went not the way we wanted. A big vote. But I'm really interested in one of the things you said there, that the day after I actually put a, a post on, online on my hmm. Facebook page, I made it public. Um, and in it, I addressed, first of all, I addressed those who voted yes, those who had um, held a pro-choice position. Hmm. Um, and then I went on to address those who voted no. Oh, this um, is awesome. This sounds and, like exactly the kind of thing I would do. <laughs> Good for you. Uh, and, you know, what I was what I was basically saying was, look, we really need to reevaluate. Um, hmm. a, a result this decisive doesn't hmm. happen by accident. Yeah. And you know I was like we're we're right our message is true we don't have to apologize for our, or shy away from the pro-life position but we clearly didn't communicate it effectively yeah um, and I encouraged the pro-life people reading this to um, try to understand the pro-choice perspective yeah and to to get a cup of coffee with 
a pro-choice person. Oh, and really you're awesome. To oh, I yes. love this story. Well, well, okay, well, <laughs> give it a second. Okay. So, We're getting to the bad part. So it, it, it got a lot of likes. It got a lot of loves. It mm-hmm. got a lot of shares. And it got some really reactionary comments from yeah. pro-life people. You yeah. know, just basically... The last thing I want to do right now yeah. is have a cup of coffee with the people. Now, in fairness, maybe I should have given it a week. <laughs> maybe. It was a little soon. But I love your heart, though. Oh, thank you. Um, so I suppose one of the first questions Ben and I wanted to ask you was, you obviously have a lot of experience with having difficult conversations with pro-choice people. Yeah. But one of the things we kind of struggle with sometimes here is, opening up good conversations with other pro-life yeah. people we're a, minor- a minority we've had this decisive result against us yeah. um and we're trying to figure out you know when there's a relatively small number of us uh, yeah. of people of Mer- me and Mern's generation it's it's about 10 percent of people yeah. who actually voted our way um and so Ten, the, okay so let, let's just break down that statistics so yeah. I, I make sure i understand it right 10 percent of the people who voted no on the referendum meaning voted pro-life no so it'd be all, no. if you if you took our age group of whatever yes. it is like okay fives, 10% of, of, of everyone who voted in any, that age only 10 percent of in your age group yeah. voted pro-life okay yeah, yeah exactly and yeah. so and so you have this thing where you have to you sort of um, imposes this burden on you, right? Because yeah. you have to be really, really effective. Yeah. You're this tiny minority and yeah. people are not going to encounter you that often. So every time they encounter a pro-life representative, that might be yeah. like the first pro-life person they've encountered for a while or will yeah. encounter for a while. Yeah. And so there's a question of like making ourselves mm. maximally effective. And then there's a, a question of how do we help people to do that and how do we do that ourselves? Yeah. Do you have any insights on that about productive dialogue between pro-lifers who kind of disagree on approach? Yeah, this is a big part of my life. So the pro-life movement is a very divided place. Um, we're a very passionate place, and that's good, but we're a very divided place. So we're divided on the, what kinds of protests we do. Should we use large graphic signs of abortion? Should we not? Um, should we you know, uh, only vote Republican no matter who the candidate is, if you're at least in the States? Um, or do we uh, vote also based on character? Um, or or can, can, should you vote for pro-life Democrats or, or not? Um, and, and what about birth control? And what about IVF? And what about, like, can we work with Catholics? You've got, like, people protesting at the March for Life, just, like, protesting about how the Pope is the Antichrist and how no one, <laughs> all the Catholics are going to hell. And, then, and it's mainly a Catholic thing, which is why they're there. It, it's just, like, it's a whole... So, it's like, yeah. Um, um, I am... I'm really driven to try to help the pro-life movement to become more effective, which necessarily means I think there are things that some pro-life people do that is not effective, and I want them to stop it, <laughs> you know, yeah. right? Um, I don't know how persuasive I am at changing their minds. I think I'm pretty good at getting to young people and inoculating them against certain uh, habits, like bad habits. Um, when people change their minds about anything, they change their mind slowly, either direction. And I think this is even more true when it comes to like activism methods. Take people who use big graphic signs. I'm, I am I know a lot of those people. I'm friends with some of them, and then some of them just straight up don't like me. And that's okay. Um, but here's like a charitable thing that I can say about those guys. If they don't change their mind because of an argument that I make about graphic abortion signs, I can't really blame them because there's a saying that 
it's probably it's not literally true but there's a saying that once you've published something you're not going to change your mind about it and and that makes sense like how much harder to i mean how, how often do people change their minds anyway like well, most people are close-minded right they call themselves open-minded but they're not really um and then but even if you are open-minded like once you put something out there in print you know or the the modern equivalent of how hard it is to like turn around on something like that is very difficult that's what you love with commitment there yeah okay I think this is a level above that. Imagine being like a leader of a ministry who has been publishing fundraising newsletters and letters and emails for like 30 years, defending at least implicitly your way of doing things. Imagine what it would take. That, that person would have to be a saint, mm -hmm. like a modern saint, yeah. to have the humility to be like, Josh Brahms, right? Like, like this, <laughs> there's no way, you know? So what, so I, what I want to try to do is, as much as I can live in peace with those people, even if we think differently, um, and I need to work as hard as I can um, to, to keep peace um, without something like compromising. And this is where it gets very complicated for mm -hmm. me because there is so much that I want to say in public because I want to steer the pro-life movement in a certain direction. And what I'm still trying to figure out is how do I balance um, being respectful to to people who are doing things differently. It's not just about graphic science. Like any, like there's lots of different pro-life leaders who do things that I, that I, I don't I, uh, love. So I want to keep peace with them. I also want to respect them because most usually they're my elders, right? Um, and at the same time, I feel like I've been called to help our people to sort of uh, a pro-life leader was to like you're trying to balance out the movement you know it's kind of the way that he put it you know, like I'm, I, or I'm trying to like smooth out the rough edges of this ball or something like that and and that means I need to sometimes say something and so I'm still struggling um, there is uh, as an argument or as an example of how much I'm, I'm, I'm still struggling with this is um, there's an argument that we don't teach a pro-life argument that we don't teach I'm not going to tell you what it is um, but is we don't teach it um, we don't think it's a good argument but it's like it's just an argument that pro-life people love uh, or often love and I want to keep peace with the people that teach it and it would be a big deal if we taught against it and so we don't out of love and respect for the people who do when I started the Life Report podcast a long time ago, a big part of it in the beginning was critiquing bad pro-life ideas or strategies. Because I've been very moved or motivated or something by reading some pro-choice articles that were doing that for the pro-choice side. Like there'd be these pro-choice thinkers, they'd be like, guys, don't say life doesn't begin at conception. Like that's a, it's not a good view. It really does. It makes us all look dumb. So say something better. Say it's her body so she can do whatever she wants or something like say it's not a person um but don't say this thing or that thing and i'm like that's so like i i loved it it's like look at the intellectual honesty that it takes to say that and and it feel it seems like every movement is going to have to critique their own side we're not listening to the other side's critiques of us and so like i'm going to go i'm going to be that guy for the pro-life <laughs> movement and then i went out there and i just like just like i just let it all hang out and then someone sent me an email that kind of said, it seems like you critique pro-lifers more than pro-choice people. Right. That seems unbalanced. Yeah. And I was like, that's a good point. And so then I kind of, I tried to balance out. And then when we started Ecorice Institute, now I'm running this like national, now international pro-life organization. And I took that responsibility very seriously. And then I really kind of, 
I wasn't critiquing anybody basically, right? And now I'm sort of trying to find my way toward somewhere in the middle where we are gonna sometimes critique pro-life ideas and I'm gonna try to do it more graciously than I ever have before because um, I haven't always been gracious and charitable in the way that I've done it. Uh, and I'm also going to, whenever possible, not point out the person who's to blame for this. Like, I'm not going to like, like, usually we're very much about like citing ideas and crediting sources um, whenever possible. I think that's really important. Um, but here's the case where it's like, they're not going to want me being like, all right, this pro-life leader on this podcast has said this thing. Here's why it's not a good argument. <laughs> I can just say, here's an argument that I heard. Here's a problem, right? And and I, I think we're going to start doing this a lot more with our podcast. I don't think we're going to do it like every episode or something. But I think we need to try to, to answer your question, lead by example. Um, I think we need to be respectful, as respect, like over-the-top respectful of our elders as we can. Because this is what they want. And young pro-life people, so I was speaking to you, be careful of this because young pro-life people are not very good at respecting the older people who often frankly frustrate us, right? With, with maybe more old fashioned tactics, tactics that maybe worked 20 or 30 years ago, but don't work as well now because culture changes. If, if, if we want to like point a laser at why old and young pro-lifers disagree, it's this, people don't change. That's the view. People have always been the same. They've always struggled with the same vices and the same attitudes and the same things. It's just like, you know, different topics maybe or whatever, but people are basically always the same. That's not my view. Um, I, think, I think culture changes. I don't think truth changes. I think Gen Z psychologically processes data so differently than Gen X does. Mm. And that matters, which means I, 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 it's not, I'm not, I'm not saying graphic science never worked. I just don't think they're as effective now as they used to be. Um, and things are just different now. I mean, back then, this is like around the time of the Vietnam War. Uh, protests were a huge thing, very respected. Young people think about protesting in general differently. This thing's so weird, right? Like, it's just like a different thing, um, different cultural context. Young people look at what older people are doing and we're just like, this is weird, it's off-putting, we don't want it, we don't want to be part of our movement, we just like it to not be here. Um, and so then we're frustrated. And then sometimes I think we cross the line, and I've certainly done this many times, of, of crossing the line into, into being disrespectful. All that to say, how do I wrap this up? I think young people should, I think you should be focusing a lot on you know, basically recruiting young people to your way of doing things. And to be fair, it's not going to be that hard because they're going to be naturally ordered towards wanting to be like you anyway. Like that's just going to be the way they're geared. Young people, for example, don't want to offend people for the most part. Uh, and, and that can be good. It can be bad. We can, we can, we, we can be too non-confrontational. We don't want to do that. My advice, if you were going to try to change one person's mind, so I, I'll, I'll, I'll make the example, the white coffin thing. Um, I think it would be um, great for people to be in relationship with the guy who does the white coffins mm. and to be having lots of meetings and trying to convince him or her uh, over a long period of time that there's a more effective way and that it matters. That could, like, what if it turns out that that'll end up delaying abolishing abortion in Ireland by five years? Um, and so we want to be as effective as possible. And this has been a really long answer. So I'm going to stop talking now. It's <laughs> a really good answer. There's actually yeah. about, there's, there's probably about five different threads you could pick out and pull yeah. in that. Yeah. Have fun with that. <laughs> Take your pick. Well, uh, let me put, let me pull you up in the very last one there. Yeah. Um, so 
one of the points that people make in favor of white coffins or whatever mm-hmm. is how important it is to highlight what's going on. Yeah. So there have been protests not just outside the maternity <coughs> hospitals, but even just in small towns and villages across Ireland, people will just show up outside the local family doctor who's now you know, providing abortions. And their argument is, we need to highlight this. We need to let people know, etc. Yeah. Um. You know, this is an atrocity. We need to make sure everyone knows it's happening. Yeah. And you know, one of the things I I said in response to this, um, at at one point to somebody was, I'm I'm not actually interested in highlighting abortion. I'm interested in ending it. Um. And yeah. I I thought that would have gone down well. It went down really badly. Yeah. Um, so I I I almost you know, what if even making the argument of what's most effective is this effective i feel like even if you presented them with ironclad empirical evidence they'd still kind of say oh but it's important to highlight now yeah. maybe maybe i'm not being charitable in saying that but this is no, based on my personal experience I think, so real quick this is like an insight into the way that they think here's the reason why your awesome line didn't work because in his mind is it him his, his it mind was. his mind the you can't end abortion without highlighting it first so he thinks that you're both going after the same goal mm. in theory. This is like the most charitable view I can have is he does want to end abortion, but he thinks that you're going to have to highlight it to get there. There's a, there's a pro-life leader who once said, America will never end abortion until America sees abortion. Okay. Although that he said that a long time ago, and a lot of America has seen abortion and, and is, still, is still here. But uh, maybe America seeing abortion made us closer. Like, I don't, you know, it's, it's, at some point it gets very hard to, there's an epistemological problem here. Like, how much can you know? You know like, I, when I'm always thinking about, like, you know, things that we do in terms of, is, you know, principled and pragmatic. There's principled arguments for doing something or, or against something, and, and, like, is it right or wrong? And then there's pragmatic, like, practical. Um, we certainly don't want to do anything that's wrong, whether even if it is effective. Um, but certainly there are a lot of, morally either neutral or justifiable things that we could do that are either effective or not effective and it seems like if that's true then wouldn't we want to be as effective as possible like i know the word effective is like corporate buzzword bingo but like it really matters here yeah and it's funny because a lot of this stuff is coded as moderate kind of middle of the road Mm. pro-lifers in some way and people who would be uh, have the sympathies that you're describing being kind of more committed um you know strong pro-lifers in a sense whereas to me the question of effectiveness is a question of strength and a question of commitment Mm. right because the reason why I care about this issue is because I want to end the thing. You know, I yeah. want to. I want. Yeah. To, I want to make sure that the people's lives are saved. Yeah. Um, and so, to me, when you're, to me, it feels like a compromise, or it feels like a a, a wrong-headedness to be concerned about anything more than effectiveness within the realm of, of just the moral action. You know, right. as long as you're not doing something unprincipled or, or evil to achieve your goals, right? Shouldn't effectiveness be your number one concern? We talk a lot about challenging pro-choice people in terms of setting up, you know, the thing you're talking about in terms of relational apologetics or yeah. just having chats or building friendships or building that connection and being able yeah. to, to have face-to-face conversations and those being so much more effective. Probably a big thing is for ideas or arguments like the one you were, you were talking about there to work, you need to be actually having face-to-face conversations with people, <laughs> uh, you know, or the pro-life right. persuasion who are doing these uh, questionable things as well, yeah, right? Yeah. Because over Facebook, yeah, it's no, not going to work. This is not a conversation that's going to work over Facebook. Like, like I don't, we all we hate abortion. This is a very, very terrible thing. It's like truly a human rights injustice. But how are we going to end it? We're going to end it. We're going to have to do it through persuading the culture. Given 
you know, how much the loss was. You know, mm. it was like a one-third to two-third thing, right? So, like, you have, there's a lot of work to be done, which means that we need to figure out how do pro-choice people think. Yeah, and that, that sort of segues neatly into one of the other things we wanted to talk about. Hmm. Yeah. Um, in the sense of, there's probably there's probably a there's probably almost two questions you want to ask that can kind of be can kind of come up here. One is the differences between Ireland and the states, yeah. And in terms of of, uh, of what's effective there, in the states, ever since Roe versus Wade, Roe versus Wade was imposed not by a democratic majority. No. Um, it, it happened, and the almost immediate effect of it was to sort of create this huge energized opposition to it immediately. Yes. And since that point. You've never the pro life movement in the states has never be, really been reduced to a tiny little remnant. No, it's always been there's always been a substantial group, whether yeah. you know a pretty substantial minority of people who are pretty committed to yeah. to the pro life cause. Yeah. to to being anti. We have like a half a million people at the march for life, like every single year. Uh, that's, that's that's crazy. It's huge. <laughs> but, but you've got this this large um, contingent and passionate contingent. Yeah. And so there's always institutions and groups and people you can team up with and people you can talk to and, yeah. and, uh, and you're not you don't feel isolated. For us, the two thirds, one third is one thing, but as we said earlier in the conversation, for particular age groups, it's worse. It's yeah, ninety ten for yeah. the youngest age yeah, group. Yeah, good point. And I think almost you can almost feel it happening in the run up to the referendum and during the campaign that things almost reached a tipping point. Things kind of got to a stage where. Suddenly, you couldn't even really, it was really much more difficult to even talk about the issue to people anymore. Previously, it would have been like, okay, let's have a conversation about this. Right. As people got more and more pro choice, or rather, as more and more people decided to identify mm-hmm. with the pro choice side, mm. you could almost feel the change. It, the, the pendulum kind of swung and then just tipped. Yeah. And from coming from that position of like being 10% in a certain age group and like one third concentrated towards very old people among that third. Um, from from your you know you've been here in Ireland for a week and just from your thoughts now you, that I'm an expert <laughs> you know everything about it you know um, what would you say would be what kind of different what's worth trying uh, what what kind of tactics should we use that wouldn't apply in the states how yeah. do we cope with that situation of being such a small minority um, yeah any thoughts on that yeah I mean this is a good question and sure I'm not an expert this is not going to be the white American telling you about how <laughs> Irish culture works uh, like I'm still trying to figure it out and I haven't talked to one Irish pro-choice person right and so like I, I'm lacking so much information but um, so I did a talk a couple a couple of different times and we've recorded it I'm going to put it out on our podcast at some point but something like you know what the Irish pro-life movement needs to know in 2020 which was based on from the conversations I've had and the research that I've done, um, there are certain things that it's just like, it might not be super unique, like only people in Ireland need to do this, but it's at least like people in Ireland especially need to do this. So for example, I talked about you need to be making secular versus religious arguments. Um, like that's true in America too, <laughs> but it's really true here, you know, okay. because your culture has really turned against the Catholic Church. And from what I hear, correct me if I'm wrong, but a lot of, especially the older pro-life crowd, were making either religious pro-life arguments or, at best, simplistic pro-life arguments. Mm-hmm. Um, and if that's true, well, naturally a bunch of young people are going to reject it. If they've rejected religion, if they've rejected Catholicism, and they think Catholic equals pro-life and non-Catholic equals pro-choice, like, and I'm not Catholic, you know, like it's kind of the math goes from there. I mean, so we need to help people as to why Secular Pro-Life is such an important group is for people to understand you don't have to be Christian to be pro-life. 
I don't know what you think about this, Murray, but I think there's actually something almost slightly different going on around, hmm. whereby at the big rallies you'll get a lot of religious stuff, okay. right? Yeah. And then, and then, but then when it comes to kind of the like the, the advocacy stuff in the media, I would say if anything, when you talk about simplistic arguments, that could be part that could be part of the story. Uh, I think that's part of. It. I also think there's almost a, a sort of a this tactical move that was made, maybe an understandable tactical move at a certain point, but one that kind of stopped being applicable after a certain stage, which is almost the argument was you guys are already with us. You, the public, are basically pro-life. And what we need to do now is we need to convince you that even if you're wavering a bit on the edge cases, what's being proposed here is too far for you. Uh, yeah, I, w I wouldn't think that would be very persuasive. <laughs> well, <it wasn't>. Who <laughs> wants to be told what they believe? Well, no, I think it was more that the opinion polling suggested that most people, um, a majority of people still opposed abortion on demand. Um, but a majority of people thought that there should be abortion in the hard cases. You know? mm -hmm. So it was essentially trying to, you know, this idea that the Irish people don't want abortion on demand. They don't want we don't want what we have with the, right. they have in the UK. Don't want wide ranging abortion. So it seemed like the campaign was basically let's try to prevent enough pro life people from changing their minds rather than let's try to persuade enough pro-choice people of the truth of our side of the argument. I mean, depending on the way the, the, like the polling was, that might have been an effective strategy. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I def my point here is definitely not to say that, that was like necessarily the wrong move. Yeah. I'm just not sure. I, I think it was probably unwinnable after a certain stage. Yeah. But, hmm. but going into the future, yeah. I think the, the Irish product movement is not particularly used, at least in certain areas, to, to just making the basic case. Yeah. yeah. To actually making just the very basic kind of ground level, here's why you should be pro-life yeah. in the first place yeah. point. I certainly, so but so I can think the most specific tip I had in my talk, Ireland Focus was talking about Civita Health in a bar. Um, and, and I just basically said like, every pro-life advocate here, if you if you wanna have conversations with people, you have to know the ins and outs of Savita's death like exactly what happened like you need to be able to like be able to teach the timeline it's one thing to kind of know vaguely in your head her medical team screwed up she didn't have to die you have to be able to explain it because the pro-choice person you've talked to has been told probably not true things about her case and so you need to actually it's one thing to know something it's another thing to be able to teach it you have to be able to functionally be able to teach here's why even if we abolished abortion in Ireland people like Savita shouldn't have to die as long as hospitals you know are trained to handle cases like this um and and treat sepsis well and, and yeah. things like that so that's certainly a particularly ireland centric uh thing but a lot of the other tips are general but like given what i know about ireland especially that's important really so important. well let me kind of lead on something a, a bit leading off of that so i have this theory that one of the reasons a lot of people changed their minds was because they weren't actually pro-life the way we are. are. So mm. they, they weren't pro-life, you know, when they were polled, do you agree with abortion? They would have said no, um, but not because they actually think it's the moral equivalent of taking the life of a toddler. Right. Because they just think that abortion is something, they're a bit distasteful. They, yes. they just didn't like it. So like yeah. the, the analogy I, I use is, you know, <laughs> Um, they, they they were against abortion the way you know someone would be against hardcore porn you know yeah. like so it, it it went from that's gross and disgusting right. and something that just should be against the law to that's gross and disgusting but something that should maybe still be legal right even if I wouldn't do it right. myself how how do you address that issue where I, like one of the pro life arguments that we hear a lot that I just think was just 
so ineffective mm. is that you know lots of women regret their abortions and right. I mean it, it's very effective on an emotional level and I don't want to deny those sure. women and I don't want to deny them the opportunity to tell their stories right. because they don't get that opportunity For sure. but it's such a poor I mean we don't say that robbery should be illegal because lots of people regret robbing it's, right. just, it's a terrible argument right. but I think that argument actually leads toward the wrong kind of pro-lifeness if you if you believe that like abortion that. should be wrong because someone might regret it, yeah. then you're going to have your mind changed by someone who says, well, just because you might regret it, maybe you should still be able to make that or, choice. Or, I don't regret my abortion. Or, my abortion yeah. was fine or yeah, whatever. Exactly. Right. Do you think that there there might be a lot of people in that category who, who are against abortion, but not for the reasons we are? And if yeah. so, Absolutely. would it be worth trying to, to reach them? And how do you reach them? So certainly, um, there's a lot of people that are probably equivocating on the word pro-life or, or whatever. Like, I, I don't know what the wording was the, of the opinion polls. Like, if the opinion poll is literally like, do you like abortion or not? <laughs> like, that would be such a poorly worded question. Because, like, what the heck does that mean if I, yeah. someone doesn't like abortion? Um, no one, almost no one likes abortion. Um, and so I, it would make so much sense. Even if it was something akin to that, people would think... That there were, uh, you know, fewer people for legalizing abortion than than maybe there actually were. For how to reach the people who maybe were pro-life for bad reasons, I think uh, the best thing to do is to show them a good reason to be pro-life, right? So, you know, if you're uh, there's a lot of people who are pro-life for surfacey reasons. You know, Donald Trump very publicly explained why he's pro-life the first time he ran for president. And, and it's, it's a terrible argument. It's <laughs> like, you know, I knew this couple and they got pregnant. They weren't planning on getting pregnant. They were even married already. They weren't planning on getting pregnant and, and they weren't very excited about being pregnant. And so, you know, but he's like, you know, they ended up having the baby anyway. Yeah. And now the child is the apple of his father's eye, he said. And, and they're so glad they didn't have an abortion. And he said, and I heard that story and some other stories. And I'm starting to drift into it. And now I'm pro-life. And it's just like, <laughs> what? <laughs> what? That's why you're pro-life? Like, I'm glad yeah. this couple didn't have an abortion, obviously. like That's a lovely story. But it's just a story. It's just an anecdote. We've got to help people understand um, there are, there, I mean, there are very, very deep reasons to be pro. And, and, I, and I loved, and this is something that I loved about um, your article, Marina, about like, you know, it's like seven reasons why we should, you know, try to, you know, exercise racism out of the movement or, or however it's called. You know, like it, it, there's, a, there's a few political leaders that call themselves pro-life who seem to have um, not just anti-immigration views, but actually like racist views mm -hmm. about immigrants, um, which is a different thing. People can have different views about immigration. And you said this so clearly in your article, which is why it was frustrating to me when multiple times now I've quoted it and people are like, yeah, but it said that you 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 can't be against immigration. You're actually racist. And I'm like, it literally said the opposite like three times. <laughs> Go read it again, you know. People did uh, misinterpret the, the article because they had, you know, their own kind of filters, I think, you know, on mm -hmm. their, the, the, that they were, their own lens that they were reading it through. But um, one of the reasons that I liked it is you got to that point of, it's, it's not just about, like, pragmatically it's a bad thing for us to be connected to racism. It also doesn't make sense to be pro-life if you're a racist. Mm -hmm. Like, if you're pro-life, you should be pro-life because there's something about 
about us that matters intrinsically, not instrumentally, where your value comes from what you can do functionally or what you do for society, but we matter because of the kind of thing we are. Human beings, you know, and however you cast that out, secular pro-life is going to cast that out in a different way than I am as a philosophy guy or than a theologist would. But either way, racism makes zero sense (laughs) or sexism or whatever. Like, like we're all human. We're all human beings. Um, And so if you're if you call yourself pro-life and you're a racist, then probably you're pro-life for surfacey lame reasons. And I don't know exactly what those are. There's probably multiple options, but you're, uh, I don't really know that you just keep being pro-life uh, unless you come up with a better reason. Like maybe we all matter. Like, he, like there's something about humans that matter. Um, and if that's true, then that goes deeper than our skin color or our, our, our ethnicity. That's really good. That makes yeah. a lot of sense. There's yeah. a lot to take, think about there. That's something we're going to take back and chew over and uh, hopefully sure. try and um, advance the conversation a little bit. Yeah. Talk to people back here. Keep me posted. We could learn a lot in the States from what works and doesn't work here. Again, there are differences between American culture and Irish culture. Um, but so far, they don't seem to be stark differences to me. And so I imagine... If you guys end up learning some techniques or things that are working or, or uh, arguments or whatever, uh, I'm going to want to try those. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's actually something I really admire about you as well. Your, your kind of resolute empiricism, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that, you know, you actually have so much experience where you can say, because so many uh, intra-pro-life arguments are about kind of a slightly abstract discussion about what works and what doesn't. Mm. And what I love about you guys, you go... We went and talked to a billion people. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. And, uh, and then afterwards, it turned out that this was actually way more persuasive than that. Yeah. yeah. You should do some thinking about how do you even measure what is effective yeah. in these things? Because that is very hard. It is a hard problem for everyone. Um, but what you want to avoid is people extrapolating just off of anecdotes. Yeah. yeah. Because yeah. anyone is going to be able to end up with several good anecdotes of their thing working. It doesn't matter how offensive your thing is. You're going to get a few saved lives or a few people saying they became pro-life because of the thing. And so trying to figure out, you know, you've got to kind of combine um, as many anecdotes as possible, but along with like, what do we know about psychology? What do we know about the way that pro-choice people think? Um, what are we reading about based on the way pro-choice people talk um, about this? Like all of that matters, assuming we want to reach them. Again, that might not be true across the board. Um, but like that, that is always a problem. Of You don't want to have confirmation bias. You don't want to have confirmation like You're, you're going to be inclined to want to interpret every good anecdote based on your method. So we just have to super, super fight hard against it. Um, but the thing that, that changed us, and, 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 and hopefully the pro-life movement in, in, in Ireland could just kind of take this experience that we had and not have to have it themselves, but just kind of run with it. But the reason that I'm, I'm so excited about the, the, the empirical method is is seeing so clearly that the pro-life argument that I used to teach didn't work as well as the one that we teach now. Mm -hmm. Um, Of of having spent, I don't know, five or six or seven or eight years teaching well, like really good at teaching the certain argument that again, I'm not going to get into what it is. Trying a new one that we call the equal rights argument and seeing it work so much better 
than we thought it would and better than anything we had ever used before to the point that like whenever we debriefed after a campus outreach, it would be boring because everyone's telling the same story. Be like, I saw someone become pro-life today. What happened? I used the equal rights argument. Oh, okay. Like, it's just like, they're gonna begin, they're gonna get tired of hearing how effective this one argument is. And so that really affected us. Take it, learn from it. There are better arguments than others. There are better tactics than others. And we've got to figure out what works with pro-choice people if we're going to change the country around. Thanks so much for listening into our discussion with Josh. We hope you found it as fascinating as Ben and I did. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd really appreciate it if you'd share it with a friend or family member who might like to listen, or else on social media. Our social media handle is at Minimize Project, and our blog can be found on our website, theminimizeproject.ie. Please send us your thoughts, comments, criticisms, and questions. We're always looking to facilitate better dialogue and conversations, so any feedback is welcome. Huge thanks again to Josh Brom for joining us on this episode, to my co-host Ben Conroy. Ben and I will be back soon with our next episode. Gadishin, Slon. <laughs>